Hello, I'm Fatmata Karoma. And I'm Allison Wesson. And this is the Anchor Exchange. When someone taps you and is encouraging you, has lived those experiences that can tell you like, you got it. You probably don't even know it yet, but you do believe them. Hello and welcome to the Anchor Exchange, a podcast and conversation space developed by college admission professionals for college admission professionals. This show is produced by and will feature throughout the membership of PCACAC, the Potomac and Chesapeake Association for College Admission Counseling, known to many as PCACAC. I'm your host, Jonathan Gowan, an admission officer and member of Potomac and Chesapeake's Communication Committee. Today's episode marks our first foray into our final two season one themes, student and professional mental health and professional development and engagement. Now, this episode sort of exists on the line between these two themes and was inspired by a quote from the late, great Toni Morrison. That is, you are not the work that you do, you are the person you are. Here to talk about professional philosophy, mission, and purpose are two dear colleagues, Fatmata Karoma, Associate Director of College Counseling at Georgetown Day School in Washington, D.C., and Allison Weston, Enrollment Management and Transfer Services Coordinator at New River Community College in Dublin, Virginia. Allison, Fatmata, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yes, oh my goodness, it's such an honor. (laughs) As we were, as the podcast team was thinking about, you know, who are, who are the two people to have on for this episode, you know, you were the two names that really bubbled up to the top really quickly. Allison, we've crossed paths a few times over the last couple of years, but we haven't gotten to work too closely yet. That being said, your name is, is spoken often in the association with reverence. And I personally, I've admired from afar the impressive work that you've done, especially for rural students. But beyond, for, beyond that, for your work with the special interest groups as part of Potomac and Chesapeake, I think both directly and indirectly, you've really accomplished a lot in terms of making Potomac and Chesapeake just a more inclusive, a more welcoming place overall. Now, on the other hand, Fatmata, I've probably worked more closely with you than anybody else in the association, uh, partly because of our, our work on the Current Trends and Future Issues Committee, which is a shout out to the Current Trends and Future Issues Committee. You should certainly consider joining. It's a great time talking about all the latest and greatest in the work. Uh, and in the last few years, I've admired not from afar the unfailing way that, that you've carried yourself with the most grace, the most compassion in every single interaction with every person that you encounter. It's been one of the things that stuck out the most to me. You you just consistently radiate a positivity and a steadiness that's contagious. You know, And for that and many other reasons, you are unquestioningly one of the most beloved members in the profession or in the association. And Allison, the same goes for you. So I, I really am glad that uh, you're both with us today, especially for this episode and this particular conversation. I just feel like after introductions like that, you just need like a moment to pause <laughs> and let it sink and appreciate being recognized and noticed. And instead of, I guess, trying to deflect it or think of every flaw that you can kind of counter that to just absorb it and allow it to really sink in the way that you would want a good friend to receive a compliment from you. So 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor to watch you as well, Jonathan. So was completely floored when I saw the title of today's episode and uh, to be thought of in that way is truly uh, a pleasure. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I would agree, Fatmata. And I think sometimes, and and you all may have said the same thing about yourself, you know, I'm my own worst critic, right? Um, So it's always like, you know, good is good, but, you know, how could we make it better? And I think that's why we're so committed to the work that we do. Um, But again, um, we are who we are. We're not the work that we do. So nice shout out. Very nice shout out. And it's a great, I, I love that you've both had that kind of positive reaction. I think that's so critical, especially as we think about just being more, I think just just more accepting of who we are, getting to a better, a healthier place is just being able to sit with like, yes, I have accomplished these things. Like, yes, I have, I have been the best professional I can be in these spaces. And, and I deserve that shout out. And that's really difficult as somebody who is constantly self-critiquing as well. So I can, I can certainly empathize. Yes. Now, I'd love to start out really by talking stories. You know, how, how did the two of you, how did you come to be where you are now, both in your, your full-time professional position, and if you don't mind, you know, sort of in your roles in Potomac and Chesapeake as well? Fatmata, would you like to kick us off? Sure. So in the world of college admissions, I think I found myself here really because I was running away from a profession, a role that sincerely did not love me back. Um, My first big girl job, as I call it, out of college was what I thought would be my dream position, corporate office, you know, uh, badge, ID, all the nine yards, taking the metro to work. And the job just hated me so. And I found myself in tears, quite literally, in the nursing rooms of (laughs) or in the restrooms of any place that I could go. And I just did not feel like I was enough. I thought, how could this be so wrong? I studied for this. I, you know, went to college for this. Why is it not working? So when I got a call from a really phenomenal friend of mine, one of my best friends from college, Lauren Wallace, who's now the director of um, you know, admissions over at University of Pittsburgh. She's like, we have this role. I think you'd be awesome at it. And all I could think was, I'm not moving back to Pittsburgh. I loved it. You know, That's my alma mater. I loved it, but I don't think I'm moving back. And she said, no, you don't have to. It's regional. So I thought, hold on. You mean to tell me you will allow me to be among my people <laughs> so I get to be in my community And I get to represent my alma mater. I was flabbergasted. I was honored. I was like, I'm taking this on. And that was their first year of introducing the regional model to Pitt. So I got to help uh, get that off the ground with an amazing team. Tom Becker led that. And it was just so rewarding and inspiring. And that's where I made my connections. That's where I got connected to MARCA, the Mid-Atlantic Association for Regional College Counselors. And and being a part of that organization, I found my family. And then from there, thinking about PCACAC and getting connected with this remarkable group, this is why I chose to stay, right? Then it created more reasons for me to stay, to get involved, to be active. Went to Garrison Forest and met uh, a name that no one's not familiar with on this podcast, if you've been listening, but Anne-Marie Strauss, who tapped me for the Current Trends and Future Issues Committee. And I couldn't say no. And then I remember going to my first 
PCACAC conference and Robin Lady, who was in her presidential cycle at the time, tapping me and saying, you know, there's this, the newcomers sort of meeting, you should go get to get to know individuals. And they had the leadership of PCACAC there just speaking life into all of us, really inspiring group of individuals who could see big picture. They didn't end their visions at May 1st and November 1st wasn't like a curse word. It was just a part of the process. And to find my people who understood those things has just been incredible. And I think that's why I stayed. We will get to, I'm sure, talking about transitions and things like that, but leaving the college space and choosing to go to the high school space was another pivotal moment for me, but I had to really reorient my thought and be content with the fact that maybe I wouldn't be reaching the number, the quantity of individuals that I used to being on the college side, but I could do some really good work with the quality of relationships I could build on this side. So it was enough of a reason for me to take the leap, especially as my family was growing and changing. And it was something that was a necessity for me, but haven't looked back. And when they say, what, three years or you're a lifer in this profession, I'm in year seven. So we'll see how things, <laughs> we'll see how things progress. You're locked um, in. I'm lo- I think so. <laughs> I would agree, Fatmata. I so a three or thirty, I think, is the expression I've heard, and I'm on year nine. Um, so here we are, nine years later. But yeah, no, I definitely feel like it, you named so many people along the way that I would also say not only um, within PCACAC, but also just within my professional career um, at, at institutions that I've worked for, helped get me here and helped guide me along the way. And so I think. Um, big picture, like my involvement is that I want to then do that for others going forward, but kind of, kind of how I got here. So I, you know, I don't think anybody goes to college and says, I want to work in college admissions, or I want to be an admissions counselor or, or in any way work in higher ed. And I also did not. Um, And so it was, it was after college, which, uh, you know, for me coming from a very, very rural setting, if you can't hear my voice, um, you know, didn't know for sure that I was going to college. And then when I did do that thing and I I get back to my rural setting, I'm like, huh, I got to find a job. What am I going to do? And um, my first job was in college admissions, but it's almost like I did things backwards um, because I worked um, as an admissions counselor at a graduate institution. So here I was, I I graduated at 21. So I was a really young grad and I was admissions counseling 30, 40 and 50 year olds going back for their doctor of pharmacy degree. Um, So I kind of did things backwards and then to bring it all full circle. Now I'm at a community college, but, um, so so that's where I got my start. And I was like, huh, if I like doing this kind of work here, imagine if I went back to my alma mater, which was Radford university, imagine how I could impact those lives. And what I realized through that process was, you know, I said, I didn't know necessarily that I was going to get to college. And when I did, I transferred a couple of times before I found that fit. And I just thought, man, like if I could help somebody figure that out without having to make all the jumps and the pivots that I did, how fun would that be? And just great and rewarding. And I definitely 
um, have found that that's the thing that keeps me coming back to a job. It, it, it's the mission. It's not the pay. You know, it's that feeling of what I'm getting back from helping that individual. So so anyway, I ended up getting a job at Radford University as an admissions counselor. And lo and behold, my territory, my recruitment territory was Southwest Virginia, because where else would they put me? Um, and so I was recruiting the state of West Virginia, Southwest Virginia, the Shenandoah Valley. And that is just where I found my fit. And I and I didn't re I can remember thinking, you know, even when I was an undergraduate, you know, people from from other parts of the state or uh, from out of state, even gosh, they 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 can't understand me. They must be so different. And what I realized through that admissions counselor position is really that they're not. It's all students have a very, you know, they may have some nuanced needs here and there, but at the end of the day, they have passion and they just need somebody to help guide them to either the right institution or the right major or the right experience. And so that was, whether I was doing it for rural students or any student for that matter, that's really what, you know, got my passion and drive going in the field. So, so I worked in um, admissions at Radford University for about four and a half years. And I realized at that point, um, I had moved up to an assistant director there and I was like, well, never thought I'd say this, but I think I'm going back to school. I think I'm going to get a master's degree. So um, I, I left there to, to pursue a master's. And then lo and behold, after I finished, ended up right back in college admissions <laughs> in one way or another. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the plan. I bopped into some, some advising jobs and things of that nature in between, but they all, I can honestly say, looking back at my experiences, I get, obviously, you know, I gained something from each one, but more than anything, I, I truly feel like each one of them guided me to the space that I am now. Um, and the people that I met along the way also guided me. Uh, to where I am now um, in community college. So um, as far as PCACAC, um, it was a summer institute was the very first, yes, yes, FATMATA. Um, summer Institute 2014 was actually the first Potomac and Chesapeake event that I ever attended. Um, and it was at Mary Washington. Um, and I had never attended a professional development event like that. And I can honestly say there, there is no better association to be a part of. Um, I knew coming out of that experience, and that was, of course, the first time I met Robin Lady and Mildred Johnson and Rebecca LaPlante. Um, you know, I knew coming out of that experience, there was not a more sincere group of people that really just wanted good for the individuals there good for the pr profession and good for the su students being served through the process. Um, and so I think good vibes, if, if nothing else, good vibes is what kept me coming back to Potomac and Chesapeake. And um, as far as leadership, I'll be honest, I had applied to uh, put in a couple proposals to present at conferences and here and there, and, and I hadn't gotten that opportunity for leadership until the rule SIG opportunity came up. And it was an old uh, supervisor of mine that said, hey, you, I'm volunteering you to do something, James Phoenix. Um, and so I got voluntold to come uh, to uh, the very first Rule SIG meeting, and it was uh, James Phoenix and um, other folks in the room that were like, hey, you know, we, we have a, a commitment to serve these students out in, in these rural communities. How can we reach them and how can we help them? And so 
I, I jumped right in and said, hey, I think I know of a couple ways. And before I knew it, I was leading the special interest group. Um, and then from there, James Massey took me under his wing. And um, when he moved into some other roles with PCACAC, of course, now serving as our president, um, I he saw something in me that maybe I didn't see in myself and, and gave me a leadership position with our special interest groups. Um, and I'm so glad that he did. I half wonder if we shouldn't be talking about this podcast as the Voluntold podcast. I think that's one of these themes I consistently see that I've lived for myself, but I see in every conversation I have with folks is that at some point in time, somebody came along and was like, hey, whatever you're doing now, you can do more of that. And you've got the ability to do more. You've got, and you should be, you should be shooting higher, pushing harder. And I'm going to make, I'm going to give you the help that I can offer to do that, but you're also going to need to, uh, you're going to need to spread those wings a little bit. <laughs> if I could say anything as far as advice to someone else who's considering, who is looking for, who is ready for something else, I would say, believe the people who believe in you. If someone comes up to you, someone who is in a position where they have a bird's eye view on what's happening, you never know who's watching you from afar. These individuals uh, have been capable, are, I guess, really good at being able to see a diamond in the rough. They're really good at being able to identify qualities that they know are fit for leaders. So even if you are not quite in that space where you could wrap your mind around, I can do this, am I ready? When someone taps you and is encouraging you, has lived those experiences that can tell you like, you got it. You probably don't even know it yet, but you do believe them. Take whatever guidance that they're willing to provide, seek out additional guidance and support if you need to, but believe them and go for it because that is absolutely how you end up in remarkable places. That is absolutely how you get out of your own way. A hundred percent. You just gotta like, it's always you standing in the way of stuff. It's you that has to be willing to move aside so that who you're intended to be, what you're meant to be doing can finally shine through. So I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. Voluntold is a serious thing. Take it seriously. When you get tapped, be honored and do it. <laughs> gonna i'm gonna pull that quote out that you led with believe the people who believe in you i i had to write that down just as a post-it note and put it off to the side i couldn't forget that can't forget that should say that's brilliant thank you famata and when you said you were a diamond in the rough i was like shoo i was real rough <laughs> real rough but they say diamond start is cold so <laughs> here we go <laughs> well i i think this is actually where this conversation is going, what I'd love to talk about is, I, I would love to talk about transition because I, I think one of the themes that I saw or that I heard, I guess, in, in as you both told your stories is that there have been several moments where you, you stopped, you looked around, you looked at your experiences and, and started asking yourself some questions, right? You know, if I'm out of the, the, where you led with is, is you were in a position that was not it was not being kind to you, right? It was not loving you back, you know, asking that question of like, where, where can I find work that love that I love and that will love me? And, and Allison, of course, you, you made the decision to go back to school. You've, you've had this really interesting non-conventional path through admissions. And so I can certainly see, you know, the questions that you've, you've asked yourself as well. And so I wonder, you know, what, 
when you have, in your own experience, been considering a transition, what are the questions that you start to ask yourself? And by extension, then, what would you advise other professionals to continually ask themselves to evaluate where they are in their in their lives when it relates to their work? Well, I can think of one quote, and I wish I knew where it came from. A quick Google search might turn that up. But for me, when I feel like I need a change, or I, or I guess the thing that I, I feel like I've been able to identify within myself is I heard a quote once that it said, you're not tired, you're uninspired. And I we can get in those ruts. We can get in those ruts where we're in the grind. And it, you know, we feel like when we get off at the end of the day, five o'clock, gosh, we're so exhausted. And now sometimes we may be because if we had, you know, 25 kids in our office that day, um, yeah, no, we may be tired. But um, I think I, I have to consider when I'm tired, am I really tired because I exhausted myself and I gave it all today? Or am I uninspired? And if that's the case, we work every day to help students find our passion. So what is my next thing? What is my next inspiration? Um, and so, so that's the thing that I think I consider when I'm looking for a change or I'm looking to grow professionally or personally is what is it that's going to inspire me to, to light that fire? I love that. So some of my, my big pivot, the pivot as we call it, moving sides of the table. So moving from the college side to the high school side, I think one of the biggest reasons, the driving factors for that were sort of personal, just the way my life was kind of unfolding at the time. I am someone who within my role felt like giving 120% was the standard. <laughs> I was like, that's just what's expected, correct? So we do all of the events that we can. And then we ask if CBOs are hosting events and then we offer. And then when we're voluntold, we also receive that and do that as well. And I had just been operating that way, trying to make this new program that my institution had started the best that it could be and really just feeding off of the wonderful relationships that I was making throughout my region. So it didn't feel taxing in a mental way, as in, I can't believe I have to do this, but I was physically exhausted. And I think when I was ready to have my second child, that's when I was sitting down thinking, hmm, I get home at what time every night? Does this seem feasible for the long run or for this season in my life? And having seen individuals kind of float from one side of the desk to the other and then make transitions back, I had to be comfortable knowing if I ever really wanted to come back to the college side, do I feel like there would be an opportunity for me to do so? And the resounding answer, many of you are probably listening and shaking your head is yes, right? If you want to, that opportunity is there. But what I needed was to still feel connected to this profession, but to do it in a way that had hours <laughs> that were a bit more manageable. And being on the high school side gave me that access to do the thing that I love to do, that I felt like I had a calling to do, unbeknownst to me and gave me the structure where I could do it, do it effectively, come home and still have time with my family because in this season of my life, that is what I needed to put as a priority. And even more so as now my kids are getting just a little bit older. So I think you will know as an individual when that time is for you, 
and be willing to kind of reach out. It's kind of scary because you don't want folks to know, is she considering leaving what's going on? But if you are doing the work to build really trustworthy relationships, there might be someone, it's not rumor meal, right? It's not going through the grapevine like wildfire. It's really about you finding the one person or the handful of people that you can talk over that you feel like have had a similar lived experience, even if it's just in the professional setting. So for me, I had my, what I call silent mentors, no formal partnership happened there. There were just individuals that I really aspired to model my career after, or just loved their work ethic and felt like they had bits or pieces of their life that resembled mine. So to young children, who do I know that is trying to juggle that and is a pillar in our community? So I reached out to those people, Rebecca LaPlante and Marie Strauss, right? Like, so some of these names might come up over and over again, but those were the individuals that I was like, I kind of see that they seem like they're doing it. Their head hasn't fallen off. How can I touch base with some folks and figure out how do you make this work? And that's sort of what fueled my um, desire to kind of pivot. And just luckily for me, I had the discussion with some of the right people and opportunities sort of were opening up around that time to allow me to make those transitions. There's a lot to unpack from both of those. And I, I think one of the things that stands out first for me is there, there's there's consideration of boundaries, right? I think that no matter what, when it comes to when it comes to transition, it's yes, it's a professional decision, but it's obviously personal, right? There's an and and maybe that's more, maybe that's less, depending on sort of what season of your life you're in, right? I mean, there are points in your life where, you know, the personal demands are less so and you might have more professional nimbleness, right? And so I guess, you know, this this sort of leads into a, a question about boundaries, right? Where especially now we're living in this era of it's the great resignation. It's there's there's so much talk these days about self-care and establishing healthy bounds for your work and where where your professional identity ends, where your personal identity begins, vice versa, and even where they might overlap. You know, and so I think the question I have is is what do and this is a subjective question, but what do healthy boundaries look like when you think about that? And how do you for yourself ensure that you're you're upholding you know, that the professional standard you hold yourself to, right, the 120% or, or what have you, but also ensure that you're giving 120 to the, the people you love, your, you know, your, per, your personal folks? Well, that's a super hard question to answer. And I think, you know, we were kind of bantering back and forth before we hit record and, um, you know, Fatmata and I both kind of joked, so you think we have it together? Um, but I think we can, we can, you know, offer th- tips that have worked for us or things that are priorities for us and, and, and how we're able to do that. And, you know, like Fatmata, you mentioned, you have two young kids and I'm just going to be frank. I, I don't know how you do it. Like I have, I have two dogs and I mean, I think they, <laughs> can do, I mean, now we, we two walks a day, you know, we do, we do it big at the Western household, but um, you know, I think big things for me are too, you know, like I'm a full-time doctoral student right now as well. So, you know, I have really, that's been a big one for me this year to not only do well, but keep my sanity. Um, and I actually came into work one day. It was, 
it's been since the pandemic. It's probably maybe been about eight months or so ago. And there was a little framed phrase just sitting on my desk that someone had left for me. And I didn't know who, who had left it at first. And, it, and I ha I'm looking at it right now and it says, you can do anything, but you can't do everything at the same time. And somebody had left that for me. And I have had to recognize that if I'm going to do the things that I want to do, that I need to do to the level that I know to feel good about myself, that I need to do them, I have to prioritize. And I can't keep all, I, I can't. And I know you're not supposed to say can't, right? Because you can do anything. Um, but you can't do them all at once. And you do have to set those boundaries. And I know, you know, some of the things that I just this year have, have committed to, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a dissertation. So I have to commit to having work days and having school days and not letting it all pile up and mix them together. Same thing with family time. I have to have my designated family time and separate that out. So you know what, y'all? Not to rub it in anybody's face, but I'm going on a trip next week. And I'm not doing any work and I'm not doing any homework either because that's how I have to, it's like you call it compartmentalizing, call it whatever you want, but I have to keep them separate or the lines start to blur. And I am checking my email, you know, at 8 PM. I am, you know, not paying attention to the show and miss the big twist because I'm on my phone, you know, um, cause a parent's in crisis. Right. Um, so I think that's one big thing I, I've committed this year um, because our, our calendar year for um, for leave balances started over January the 9th. This year, 2022, I commit to not losing any paid time off because how many of you out there have lost your paid time off? I know I lost a week last year and granted, we've worked from home a lot. Things are weird just putting it out there. Things are very, very, very weird. But that's one boundary that I have put up for myself. Another thing too, is like, because I am, if I'm not working at work or I'm working from home, you know, like I have to have that designated space. And I know not everybody has this luxury. Not everybody has a, a room in their home that they can go close the door to. But if you can designate some space, even if it is the kitchen table and that is your space and you only work in that space, and so then when you shut it off, you move, you move to a different space. Um, if, if there's any way in your home that you can do that, I, I think that even if, if you're not going outside, you're not going to a different room, um, you designate that space for work. And so um, you're not mixing that into your, to your other daily activities. I think that's big. I love that. So whoever placed that gorgeous framed, message on your desk like thank you thank you and everyone it's gorgeous and everyone who just received that gift I hope that you do carry it with you I so agree and I think that mindset can shift worlds like it's so important because when I put on my hat to say it's time to knock out emails I mean my emails are like the inception of emails. I try to predict what the next three emails are about to be and then answer those and include hyperlinks. I'm like, you know what guys, we're gonna do this big, which is why for such a long time, I couldn't get, wrap my mind around the idea of emailing or responding to them through my phone. I'm like, well, 
how can I have the other window up and find the link? And, you know, so emails have been my huge, just the, the weight on my shoulders is just making sure I can respond in a timely fashion and do all of these things to be responsive and on top of everything. So carving out that time. So for me, my sort of boundary setting this week, and I'm telling you guys, it's just this week, I committed to getting to work early, at least 30 minutes early. Sometimes it was a little bit more, a little bit less. That additional time before everyone else arrived in the dark, sitting in my office, Phil Collins, Whitney Houston, Seal, were my playlists of choice. They held it down and we would just crank out emails and I leave ready to embrace my family. When I leave here, I am okay that emails aren't getting read because I feel fulfilled in the work that I've done. And I feel like what I was experiencing prior to that, not just prior to this week, guys, I've felt fulfilled before this week, I promise you. But what what really does tend to weigh me down is this idea that there was so much more you could have done and you didn't do good work with the time that you had to do it. And when you feel like you have done as much as you could with the time that you have, even if there's still stuff left on the table, you're okay with that sort of like, yes, tomorrow's another day. And you feel good about giving yourself that rest that you deserve because you do have a set schedule. (laughs) And when you start going beyond that and blurring the lines, it's really hard to reel it back in. So I operated for a long time without setting those things. One of the things that I would highly encourage if you have the ability to really keep your eyes open and find role models for the types of boundaries you desire setting for yourself. It's so important. Before I saw another working female professional or just professional um, being open to tell other individuals, I have to leave early today because so-and-so has a doctor's appointment or I need, I just need to take that personal day off tomorrow right? With the heads up, with the advanced notices on my calendar, I need to work from home to get certain things done. And I had so much confidence that whatever work, whatever meetings we had set, were still going to happen. We're still going to be done. Or I understood because I was given that opportunity for understanding and I respected the boundary that that individual needed to set. And then as soon as they were back, the wheels were in motion, we were getting stuff done again. But being able to have that modeled for me was so important. And I thought to myself, hold on, wait, I didn't think she was a, you know, that person completely dropped the ball. Not at all. Like if anything, I had so much respect for them. I had so much admiration and appreciation just that they are beginning to share in a vulnerable way, but also in a very open way, opening those lines of communication where now I, if something similar or completely different were to happen and I needed time, I don't feel scared. I don't feel nervous. I don't feel intimidated to ask for it to, or, you know, I say ask, but to tell someone I need this day, or this is what I have planned. Here is how I can successfully get my work done. I'll work from home for the second half of the day. Would that work? It does take having a really good supervisor sometimes for that. So I don't want to just be like, yeah, everyone can do this. You can get it done. But communication often sometimes can be what helps, I I guess, break that barrier if it does exist. And not everyone is designed equal. Not all leaders are the same. So I just hope that wherever you find yourself, if you're listening to this, you do feel like you have someone 
in a leadership role at the institution or organization where you are that you can be open with, let them know what your needs are. Because if you are doing good work, hopefully they want you to be there for the long haul. They want to retain you. And if it's just having that 30 minutes, being able to take care of that doctor's appointment, being able to commit to whatever it is for your mental health or for your physical health or for your family's well-being, hopefully they would be open to understanding that. But I think so often we're just afraid to even begin that conversation because we seem weak or we just started this job and now I'm already asking for favors. And, you know, I've experienced all of that and so much more. And having those role models for me where I can see it happen um, has been the, I think, the, the turning point for me. Well, and I, oh my gosh, I've resonated with so much that you've shared there. And I will say just when you said, oh, I haven't been in this job very long. So my first day as an admissions counselor at Bradford University, my grandmother passed away. My very first day. And you know what? On my first day of work, I had to ask for time off. And you know what? I had a daggone good boss who gave it to me. And I think, you know what? One, we can't be afraid of that. Two, I think for those of you, because <clears throat> raise your hand if you've ever had a bad boss. Not point. Yeah, raise your hand. Raise it high. Yeah, they exist and they're out there. And you know what I learned from that? I, I went from, and I shouldn't even say this, but I did go from a position where I didn't have a great boss to a position where I was a supervisor. And I learned more about what not to do from that supervisor. I think honest, have role models, have that person that you know you want to model that leadership style, but also if you are in that situation where thought model was where she was coming home on the Metro with tears in her eyes, or, you know, with me, I was, I was coming home sitting on the steps and my husband was saying to me, Allison, I don't care if you work at Seven Eleven. I just want you to be happy. You know, we, I, we've all been there and we have to look at that situation and figure out what we can take out of it to be better and not let that situation run you over. That's one thing I want to share. Another thing I want to share was, um, something that one of my professors actually in my senior year of undergrad did. Um, I had a, I had a, a corporate and professional communications class. So shout out to Dr. French um, if, if she's out there listening, but um, on one of our last days of class, uh, you know, we were going through just really her, her last little nuggets of success before, as we all seniors went out into the world as professionals. And she, she had a picture of a headstone on a slide and she said, your resume, your credentials, your qualifications, they're not going to be on your headstone. So remember that. You can work and work and work and work. And at the end of the day, that's that's not what you're necessarily going to be remembered for. So remember that your resume doesn't go on your headstone. Um, I think lastly, um, I want to share based on some of the things Pop Mata shared about checking email and all that good stuff. We in higher education and on the high school side, on the college side, we live and die by deadlines. And you know what? Somebody else's procrastination, a student's procrastination, a parent's procrastination does not warrant an emergency on your part. So remember that when you get an email at 3.57 a.m. Well, for listeners at home, what you don't know is that for the last several minutes, I've been writing furiously on a notebook in front of me, trying to catch all of the all of the things that just resonated with me, the things that stuck out from what Allison and, and, and Fomada have shared. And I, it's a couple of things I just uh, that are worth reiterating. Number one, 
whoever needs to hear this out there, because there's going to be a couple people, do not lose that PTO. That is yours. It, it is your time. You are paid for it. It is paid time off that belongs to you and use it. The other thing is that I, I really, one of the things that, that stuck out to me is if we're talking about leadership, as we're talking about bosses, good and bad, as we're talking about boundaries, I think there's an essential there's an essential component to boundaries that I, I think is really, it's worth calling leadership to the carpet here for a moment about is that boundaries, like we can set the best boundaries possible for ourselves as professionals, but if there is not trust on the other side, then those boundaries, they'll always be permeable. They will always, either because we feel the need to cross them when the need gets heavy and the stress rises or, or because leadership might not respect those boundaries. I, I think trust is a critical component to ensure that that your you that your people are both getting their work done, but also still are invested in the work. I, I think that, you know, one of those things that just kills motivation so much is not being trusted. Not being trusted to do the job we were hired to do. I mean, come on, right? Is that that is it, I, I it feels such a small thing. But I, I think it is critical in this conversation about boundaries is that we can do a lot and we there's a quite a big onus on ourselves as professionals to set those boundaries, but they need to be reciprocated with trust for it to really sink in. Mm. Okay. Lots, oh, lots to think about. It's such a ref, like a life reflection conversation too. And I, I wonder, you know, one of the questions that I, I really... I've been wanting to ask is how do you continually, how do you find renewal, right? Because no matter what, you know, we always, we get tired or we get uninspired or, or maybe we get a little bit bored, right? Because I mean, think about it. This is application reading season right now for me, like day after day, hour after hour, just plugging away through applications. And so it can feel a bit monotonous, right? It can feel like tedium. And so I wonder, you know, for you two, not that you're both reading applications at the moment, but just in general, how do you find renewal and continually make your career and your work? How do you find more meaning? How do you continually kind of search for new challenge? So I think there are so many uh, ways about approaching that. And some of the ways that I think have been really helpful or beneficial for me throughout both sides of the desk and different roles is being open to partnerships, and trying something new. <laughs> reaching out, whether it's within your professional association, whether it's reaching out to a local CBO, whether it is setting your sights on that upcoming conference and dreaming up, if I could sit and give my TED talk, what would it be about? And then you have set yourself up to engage to learn something new. There's nothing like the feeling that you get of being a novice at something, when you're just devouring the information at hand, when you are compelled to spend every waking moment listening to the podcast, watching the YouTube video, seeking out the professionals and the advice and all of that. So I think there comes a point in maybe a professional career where it does get mundane or it becomes very, when we say like, I could do this with my eyes closed and you're like, oh, but would you want to? 
geez, right? So what is it that you can kind of infuse in there to give it new life? Yes, as a new year comes, that means it's, if you're on the high school side or CBO side, maybe a new crop of students that you get to work with. So that's awesome. Maybe if you're on the college side, yes, it's different apps, or maybe there's a new school building that just came out or a new major that you get to tell the folks about when you're on the road or in the Zoom (laughs) meetings, right? So all of that is there. But If you get back to what is at hand and accessible to me. So for me, I loved partnering with CBOs and still do. For me, being able to reach out and say, I have developed, I'm building up an expertise in this particular area. And I, for one moment, don't have to be, you know, a an advertisement for one particular institution. I just get to talk about college, why I think it's important why I am encouraging you to seek out whatever your best fit is and to pursue that. So for me, when I was on the college side, that was my like bread and butter. I was like, who has a trio program? Can someone direct me to some place else? I'm still going to be in blue and gold, but I don't have to talk about my institution, right? Like for tonight, it's not about that. It's just about encouraging young people to seek out continued education because I believe it's important because I see what it can do for individuals, how transformative it can be. And because I know that there are folks out there who don't even think they deserve it or that it's available to them or that it's accessible to them because of the narrative that there are certain schools that you should go to. And I'm here to remind you like there are over 4,000. Someone's out there counting, it's not me, but there are so many options. And I got to be that person. So now on the high school side, I am still looking for partnerships. I think for me being, let's say, within the CTFI committee, current trends and future issues, that is my lifeblood now. Uh, When I think about what allows things to be different for me, because I'm getting those various perspectives, I can get lost in the world of my current high school Um, I'm very privileged, like I recognize that so much. And in order to get out of my own way to say, if we are talking about something being a current trend or an issue for someone, I can't only look at it through the lens of where I'm sitting, because that's going to look really different than my friends over at a public school, at a charter school, at other various institutions where that same rule, where that same new program that the college is trying to start does not affect their students in the same way that it impacts mine. So that community that I have within CTFI begs me to look beyond where I'm seated, to look beyond just the members even in that committee to say, but how is this gonna impact everybody else? I mean, everybody else. Let's have a very broad conversation. We play devil's advocate amongst ourselves and we call out where we see could be maybe a hidden detriment, right, to students. We, I'm always reminded to keep that student-centered focus. And that's another way that you can do it. Joining committees, finding other avenues that connect you to the profession beyond the role that you have, beyond the title that you hold. And I think those are phenomenal ways to keep it interesting, to make sure that your work is meaningful and impactful beyond the daily, I'm sure, impact that you're making on the students that you work with. I couldn't agree more with what you've shared. And one instance where I I can share that that has been so alive for me even recently is, you know, on the college side, especially 
we don't usually hear from faculty so much. We usually don't hear about what's going on in the classroom. And especially, I'm, I'm in a very unique space because I'm at a community college, so I, I get that, that kind of recruitment piece as the enrollment manager, right? But then I also get to be an advocate for students going to any college with my transfer services lens because I'm helping them get wherever that that institution is in state out of state out of the country um, but one of the things that in the last year or two more than ever has become more evident to me is that um, especially when considering community college we as higher education institutions and I, I'm not trying to harp on problems here but we inherit the problems that students had in high school and sometimes we don't know about those, right? And so especially at a community college where you are bringing in students that maybe didn't take the rigorous courses in high school, maybe they didn't, you know, there's a reason some, but not all of them, some of them end up choosing community college because it's a cost-effective option and, you know, they chose that and they wanted to stay in their town. But, but for many others, they maybe got a denial letter from a school. And so our job is to identify where those gaps are and bridge those. And so often I feel like we as higher education professionals don't really understand what's going on in the K-12 school systems because, oh, we think, oh, that's not our problem. But it, we're gonna inherit those problems one day. And I think as um, you know, admission to colleges becomes more and more competitive. I mean, unfortunately, we, we've all seen the writing on the wall, right? There are some, some not so great stats about what the future looks like um, as far as college recruitment. And, you know, four-year institutions, community colleges, you're going to be seeing more and more students come through your doors with, with needs. And so identifying those things now, working together with our public schools now to make sure we have support services in place for those individuals when they get to college instead of having some really tough growing pains um, a few years down the road. I think we're all in this together. We all have a common goal and maybe our day-to-day -day tasks look a bit different, but I think recognizing that and recognizing where we can join hands and, and help because I think at the end of the day, we all wanna do what's in the best interest of the student always. Uh, whether you're on the high school side or the college side. I know that's that's my goal. And I think too, always having those equity glasses on um, and, and to recognize that not everybody is coming to the situation with um, the same set of circumstances. Um, and, and, and I think doing that through professional development doing that through organizations such as Potomac and Chesapeake is a great way to start. And I think to keep it spicy, right? Like we wouldn't be in education if we weren't all lifelong learners. We're nerds, okay? So embrace it and keep learning because that's that's what keeps it hot, my friends. Talking to the biggest nerd in the higher ed world, I think maybe I'll put myself out there and say that. Absolutely. I, I can't clap loud enough for that. I I really, I think that you're, both of your comments really dovetailed nicely on I'm part of a question that I was going to ask outright, but I think you both really answered it. And that is about, you know, how do you define your, how do you define your professional philosophy independent of the institution for which you work? Because it is, I, and this is actually, this has come up in other podcast conversations as well, because it's something that I personally believe in. And I, I think that it, it does sort of come out when we have these conversations about purpose is this need to really determine 
that why, you know, like, why do we get up every morning? Why do we show up to work early sometimes to get some emails done, right? What's, what is the reason? And it can't be just because we want X institution to do well. That can be part of it. It has to be part of it to keep the lights on, let's be honest. But it, it can't be that, it can't be the thing from which the emotional drive derives. You know, there's got to be that X factor that, that keeps us sort of in love with the work, right? And I love, I think, you know, Allison, your comment about being a student, I think really ties in nicely with with, with what Fatmata said about leaning into that noviceness, you know? I think one of the one of the things that's unfortunate maybe about the way that we educate students is like, get to expert level, like you want to be the best, like increase your depth of knowledge continually about a certain subject, which by all means, absolutely. But I don't think we give enough credit in general education to that, the motivation that can be found by knowing nothing. Like, I love being the fool in the room. Like, I love, I love it when I don't know stuff because I love those deep dives. I'm a Wikipedia black hole person too. So I, it's something that just really, I don't know, that dovetails, that dovetails with a lot of what I believe. So thank you. Thank you both. I think as far as philosophy, like when I think of that, one of the things I think that helps me approach this in like a humble way uh, with humility, with respect to whoever is in front of me, whether that's student, family, colleague, really is this idea that I think what I'm driven by is I want the students to kind of want more for themselves. I wanna inspire young people to desire more for themselves. And I think because that's broad, it's applicable in various ways. I want the student who's stellar and really filling themselves to want more for themselves, as in you want to approach this process and gain something, right? So dig a little bit deeper as you're reflecting. It's It goes beyond grades. What community do you want to be a part of? I want you to desire more for yourself. I want you to not lean too heavily on me to reach out to that person and do that. Want more for yourself, like go out there and what connection do you need to make with what rep and how do you need to present yourself? What interview can you sign up for? I want the first generation student to not feel shy about approaching our office about this idea that they are thinking of a school that they believe is beyond them why want more for yourself? Like you deserve because of the hard work you've put in to aspire to all of those things. And I think sometimes that means lifting someone up who you see through all of the light that they have. And for some reason, they just can't let it shine. They can't get out of their own way. And you're able to kind of pave through that for them and help them see it and to believe in it. And sometimes it means bringing somebody down not bringing somebody, I, I, let, let me paraphrase, let me re-say that. What I mean is you do end up running into individuals with a sense of entitlement. And that is something just from my upbringing that I just had never experienced in my wildest dreams growing up the way that I did. Entitlement wasn't a thing. You know, we all were just striving, working as hard as you could. There were no handouts to be given, so we weren't entitled to anything. You just worked for it and you hoped for the best. So sometimes it's this trying to meet individuals where they are to set expectations and kind of inform based on data 
that sometimes just because so-and-so also went to that school a bajillion years ago, it might not work out in our favor. And we still have to put forth the best effort that you can and try a little bit harder. Like want something more for yourself, right? We're not trying to get in off of the the work that others have done, what have you done during your career, during your time, whether it's, you know, in high school, to really feel like you're deserving of that thing. So, and that is one thing that I think, depending on the student, yeah, you always want to be everyone's cheerleader, you want to do that. But when you also there, we have to be honest with the fact that we also run into that scenario where you're having to have very honest, still respectful, still compassionate conversations, but you want to be able to guide them before the bad news hits and they are so struck by it because it was it was a given that was already going to come my way or work out for me. So you kind of talk through what the scenarios could be and you yeah, you have to, I think with equity, for those of us who have a lot of conversations about equity, we know that equity and equal aren't the same thing, right? So I'm not giving each student the same thing and saying I'm being equitable. Some students need a bit more. And it's not always the student who has the high profile parent that needs more. Sometimes it's the student whose parent has never contacted you because legitimately they don't even know that you're accessible to them. Like, how about you reach out to that family, right? So that for me is is important for us to not get caught up in a lot of that and to help our students not get caught up in a lot of that. Help those students who need to get out of their own way and see how amazing and remarkable they truly are, even if what they think they have is quote unquote, just basic um, experiences. You know, I didn't do that internship at this world renowned research lab. How could I aspire to that? yet they're working, carrying responsibilities, um, inspiring others, volunteering in their local community. How about let's boost that up and let's find ways to talk about that positively. So I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of what I do that is really about meeting the students where they are and leaning in to make sure that they leave that conversation like wanting more for themselves. And what you've shared leads right into something I had written down earlier today. And I think we as professionals can take this advice. And I also think this, because this is the advice I think we're, we try to give our students every day is be unapologetically you, you know, you're, you don't have to be something you're not just because you didn't do that internship. Well, the skills that you learned working part-time in McDonald's are absolutely transferable. You probably have some more real life experience than the person who had the, the fancy, you know, law firm internship. Like let's sell that stuff because that's really, in my opinion, you, you know, that's, that's the, the skills that are going to get you through that you're going to call upon. And, you know, I feel like we also have to, when we say, oh, well, we don't want our students to feel intimidated to ask us for help or use us as a resource. One thing that I found in coming back to school, especially after I'm older, you, you view it in a completely different way, but um, is that we have to do the same thing as professionals. And I, I think all the time we use the excuse, oh man, well, I know that person's so busy, so I don't want to bother them or, or I don't want to ask for help about that because they're so busy. Well, you know what? 
I have reached out to researchers and professors at other universities who have been doing research on topics that I'm interested in. Specifically, shout out to Mike Bastido at the University of Michigan. I read an article of his uh, when I was in my master's program about undermatching and reached out to him. And within an hour, he emailed me back, talked to me about it, his research, like just so crazy. And even since he's been on the NACAC podcast, somebody had recorded him. I mean, just these people are super down to earth. And in the same way that Fatmata and I got so excited to be here and that somebody actually looked up to us and that somebody thought we might know a thing or two, that's exactly how they feel. And that's the work that they've been putting their heart and soul into. And so at the end of the day, the work that we do fills us up because it's a continuum and it, it, we're continually paying it forward. And don't feel like you are the end of that continuum because you've got people you look up to as well. And they're going to feel the same way. Um, th th they're going to feel very um, flattered that you reach out and let them know how you feel. Well, I'll just affirm there are many somebodies that look up to the both of you in the region, not just somebody singular. There are many somebodies. I, 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 I thank you both for those comments. I, and I love how they dovetail together. And I, I think it's, it's interesting to see the, the conversation come full circle back around to Fahmata, one of the things you said earlier, which is believe in the people who believe in you, right? I think ultimately like one of the main takeaways from this conversation for me has been just this, this affirmation, this, this importance of just kind of overcoming a bit of that, so that resistance, that, that self-criticism and just believing a little bit in you. And also I, I think Allison, one of the things that I, I love about what you just said is that there are is that there, there's lots of things that get that we get in our own way about, right? This, when we get excited about something, we want to reach out to somebody. There's always that little voice that says like, everybody's busy now. Everybody's stressed. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a pain, right? I don't, I don't want to be annoying, but you know, I think the, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got, and this relates to many different uh, many different professional arenas, but the answer is always no, unless you ask, like until you ask, like the least, the worst thing that happens is they say no, and then you move on with your life. But I think that overcoming that little bit of resistance and it's hard, it, it can be hard in a lot of scenarios, but overcoming that little voice that says like, maybe I shouldn't do this. I think is one of the most powerful ways to really continually re renew your career. Mm. And I think there's this, the other thing that this made me think of, and this is now the second time today I've had this conversation that this has come up in is, you know, how this is particularly impactful for first generation professionals. Now, those of you listening at home, maybe if you listened to last week's episode about the conference, you'll know we just talked about first generation professionals there, but it, it's, it's the group of folks who they were first generation students, but now have since completed their college education. They're, they're in professional, they're the first in their family to be in professional roles that require a college degree group of professionals. That's not often talked about in, in, professional spaces, but they are, they're, they're a little bit more predisposed to that selflessness and, and also that self critique, right? Not necessarily shooting for all of the opportunities that they're qualified for or, or could aspire to. And so I think that this advice is impact, especially impactful for those folks. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I'll be honest, like I'm a first generation professional myself. And so a lot of this is resonating personally, but I think it's it's really powerful for those of you out there who who may be the first in their family. You're carrying the flag, you're leading the charge. 
insert idiom here, you know, but it, it is, it is powerful advice to know that you've got people who believe in you and you just need to, you need to trust in them just a little bit when you take that leap. Hmm. As we, as we start to wind down, one of the last questions I want to ask you before we, we move into our last word is what advice would you have for folks that are just starting out? Uh, you know, I, it's a very broad question and, and you've given either implicitly or explicitly a lot of advice so far, but is there anything that you would like to highlight in particular that you'd like to, to uplift right now? So if I can start there, I think first one that I'll say is again, silent mentors. I can't say enough. Do not wait for a formal partnership. Identify those people who inspire you for whatever reason and in the ways that you can mimic and mirror some of the characteristics you've you've seen in them, do it. Because we fake it until we make it sometimes. And I remember as I attended the Summer Institute for Pekakak years ago and saw Mildred Johnson and her crew, and they were in school colors. And I was like, I like that. From then on, I was blue and gold forever. And I, for me, that's a little thing, right? It's like, okay, so you were inspired by how you <laughs> present yourself, but legitimately um, moving forward and kind of embracing and embodying my institution at that time when I was early on in my career and being identifiably the blue and girl, gold girl. And it just was one sliver, one small, tiny way that I was committing to like living out that brand and being a bit, it, it, it spoke a lot to me at that time. And that was something that was silent. She never walked around and said like, this is what we do. It just was a thing. And the way that they carried themselves and it, like, it was just never too early to brand yourself in the way that you want to be received or perceived by others. So feel free to do that and to do it positively and to do it in the way that works for you. I would also say that right now I'm being reminded that I'm not as new in this profession as like I think. And it's funny because now I'm thinking that even more so it's inspiring me to be the one as has been done to me to reach out to individuals and say, hey, when we're at the conference, you're new here. You should definitely attend that newcomer session, right? Like we'll be there, we're mingling, or as we have already done, Jonathan, you know this, but reaching out to individuals and saying, I think you'd be great for the current trends and future issues committee, like come and join us. We have some great conversations, that sort of thing, but you're never too early in your career to be the person that can benefit someone else, even if it's you show up in a school's parking lot for a college fair that, you know, when that happens again one day. Um, but when you're that you're at that space or you're attending this virtual event and you have other colleagues and you just have a nugget of wisdom that you think is so everyone else knows this, whatever, who can that help? it could probably help this first year individual who hasn't done this before or the individual who never attended this particular event. And those words of, you know, those little hints here and there about how to do things more efficiently, more effectively, more engaging uh, within this profession go a long way. So give your nuggets of wisdom where you can. You're never too new in the profession to have something thoughtful to say that can help someone else. And um, as far as colors go, that Radford red dyed hard for me. Um, I'm still wearing it right now. 
Um, so I, I am branded. I am branded in Radford Red. Sorry, New River. Um, but, you know, I, I have just kind of, I guess, a, a couple small tidbits. And I would say, one, new professionals, as we've talked about, go for it. Because, again, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. If you, if you don't try, you'll never know. So, one, go for it. And, oh, my go- goodness, what happens if you actually get it? Okay, well, here's my piece of wisdom for if you actually get it, because I feel like that's kind of where I landed in my most recent career switch. I started the job that I'm currently in about three years ago. And um, when I started this job, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, they hired me to lead this. They don't know I'm crazy. And they hired me to lead this team of 11 people and two of them have PhDs. What? They did? Me? What did they, what did they see in me that made them think that I could do that? Well, you know what? They saw something in me I didn't see. And my, and my takeaway from that is one. So if you went for it and you got it, great. Two, just because you are in a position of leadership, just because you are in a position of quote unquote authority, doesn't mean that everybody expects you to know everything and learn from your staff. Can I tell you how much I've learned from my staff? Yeah, no, I sign off on their paycheck, but like, really, they've taught me everything I know. Um, So never feel like even once you do get there, let's say you take that leap of faith and you get that promotion or you get that job and you are that leader. Good leaders know when to be vulnerable because they don't have to be in charge all the time. And they don't, and, and, and that's, I'm sure too, what, what you all are talking about, good bosses, bad bosses. That's what we learned because I think at the end of the day, being genuine, not only in your position to your students, to your staff, but, but just to be authentic um, and, and things will fall into place. Well, this has been just an absolutely wisdom-filled conversation, a laughter-filled conversation as well. Uh, I, I've been on mute for most of my laughing, so. Uh, you, but uh, rest assured, dear listener, there's been plenty of smiling. Um, this has been been fabulous, Fatmata Allison. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited now. We're we're going to move on to the last word. Now, the last word is the end of the episode. It's it's the hot mic time where it's an opportunity for us to share something, anything on our mind that's related to the work. It doesn't have to be about our topic today, but it can be. It could be more advice. It could be a quote. It could be a philosophical musing, a blistering hot take, or a song getting you through the day. I'll say my own right now. The thing I kept thinking about through this conversation is actually a book that I'm listening to, an audiobook, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Absolutely wonderful. Great for reflecting on your life and the choices that you've made. It's a fabulous book. I highly recommend. Uh, but uh, to turn it now over to our guests, I'd say, Allison, how about you start us off with your last word? Well, I really wanted the last, last word, but I guess I'll go. <laughs> so my last word is, is going to be a shameless plug. Um, so on March the 2nd, so coming up um, in just over a month, the Rural SIG, the Rural Special Interest Group, is putting together a workshop with Potomac and Chesapeake. And just in full transparency, the data collected, the registrations, the feedback is actually what I'm going to be writing my dissertation on. 
Um, so I am I am doing a PCACAC themed uh, dissertation for my topic, um, studying rural students and not only rural students, but rural um, guidance staff and career staff and how PCACAC and the rural SIG can better support those individuals. So literally my involvement and my, my, my voluntoldism has turned into a dissertation. So if you are interested in participating it is free and that's part of the point is that we want we want to make this an access point special interest groups don't require any sort of um fees any so you know they are free and they are an access point and again like trying to boost inclusivity and equity um, within our profession but march 2nd be on the lookout um for the registration link there um and please um if you even think you might want to attend go ahead and sign up there's there's no fee and, and no strings attached. And you might just win a free conference registration because that's in the works. That's excellent. Allison, and congratulations. I mean, we yes, on your pursuit of your PhD. This is incredible yeah. and really inspiring. Um, so I hope you all attend and make that. If I had a last word, I think I would say anyone who's listening, whether you're driving, hanging out, Hopefully this has felt like a catch up with friends. I would say, please practice, take a moment to do something to show yourself a bit of self-love today. We can get in our own heads a lot. Um, it's been a really rough season for many, on many fronts for a multitude of reasons. And it can get really trying at times to get yourself to do things that you don't feel like are moving mountains in the moment. Um, and to show up as your best self for each and every person that you come into contact with or feel like you must give more. Do something for yourself that can bring you just that little moment of relief and joy because you deserve it. You are deserving. You are worthy of that time and that space. And it's what will allow you to come back and continue on with that meaningful work and to be able to recognize others who might also need that and to hopefully invite them to do the same because we're all going to be able to work better together and to produce more meaningful and uh, inspiring work and lead to better outcomes if we're in a state where our cup is full. So do something. I've been sewing. <laughs> I've been you know, sitting down and just actually watching my kids enjoy themselves and not like rushing to, you know, make a bedtime when I can just enjoy the moment that I have that's in front of me. So I hope everyone gets to do something that's going to bring them a bit of joy. Beautiful. <laughs> thank you, Famada. Thank you, Allison. This has been this has been an absolute pleasure. I so appreciate not only you being here, but also your transparency, the insight. You've been so honest and forthcoming, and I, I know I'm grateful, and I, I know our listeners are really going to appreciate that as well. So this has been an absolute pleasure of a conversation, and I wish you two a, a healthy spring semester ahead of us. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was wonderful to chat and hear from you, Allison. This was like, I'm pumped. Can you see it? And I cannot wait to hug you guys. Like, if that's okay, like, you know, when we get to see each other at the conference. Thank you to the rest of the podcast team. 
Our two co-producers, Kristen Carter, University Counselor at Rochambeau, the French International School in Bethesda, Maryland, and Carla Goodwin, Assistant Director of Admission at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. This show cannot be done without their dedication and collaboration. The mission of Potomac and Chesapeake is to support and advance college admission professionals. As a nonprofit organization, this is made possible by the support of our membership. If you value the work of PCACAC and you shop on Amazon.com, I'll ask that you consider setting up your Amazon Smile with Potomac and Chesapeake as the primary charity. By doing so, a small percentage of your Amazon purchase costs will be directed to the organization. It may just be a few clicks for you, but every little bit adds up and makes it possible for Potomac and Chesapeake to continue and expand the work of college access and admission across our region. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.